Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Before I introduce the guest for today, I want to encourage you and remind you, please, to go to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become a supporter of this podcast so that it can stay on the air. Every little bit helps. Truly, truly, truly. Thank you. Patreon.com slash indoctrination. It's easy and incredibly helpful. Thank you very much. And today, we have Chris Shelton back on the show to talk about something very particular and in probably the clearest form that you're going to hear it described in because he's done so much research and he's worked hard to put things that are very confusing into language that makes it easier to understand and also easier to see why it's head spinning. Chris Shelton is an author, podcaster, and former member of the Church of Scientology's Upper Echelon, the C Organization. That's S-E-A Organization. Since leaving Scientology in 2013, he has been dedicated to exposing the abuses of destructive cults and high control groups through his YouTube channel, where he promotes critical thinking and education as the solutions to the cult problem overall. Here's Chris now. Welcome, Chris Shelton, back to the show. I'm so happy to have you on today. And I know that we do a lot of sort of cross-pollination and I'm on your shows and you're on mine. And there is a, it's like a mutual appreciation society. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because I not only have you experienced things firsthand, but you've studied them. And you have, you've not only studied them in terms of the details of what happened, but also what happens to your mind, what happens to yourself when these things happen and how the structure came to be, that kind of structure. And, and you are detail-oriented, so people can benefit from getting so many of the details. In fact, you just did an extensive video about the RPF, and I want to make sure everyone knows about it. And then we're going to talk more about it today. So welcome, Chris, and tell them also where to find this, you know, this video and others. Yeah, I, I have a YouTube channel and, uh, and I'm not afraid to use it. So, <laughs> That's good. Um, and it's just my name, Chris Shelton, right? So you can find me pretty easily. I sort of self-identify as the critical thinker at large, which is, which is really just kind of tongue in cheek, but it's meant to you know, indicate that I'm, I, I'm not trying to talk to people from some plateau of deep well of knowledge. I'm trying to say, look, I'm, I'm learning as I go and let's, let's have a fun ride here and let's talk about critical thinking and, and science and psychology and cults and stuff like this. And I, I, I find this stuff endlessly fascinating. So I guess the details are, are, are so interesting to me that I keep diving into more and more of them. And uh, and then talking about it and talking about my experiences with with Scientology and and talking to other people about the cult groups that, you know, high high control authoritarian groups that they get involved in and and how we all sort of can fall for this stuff if we're not careful and 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 really sort of paying attention to the details because we get lost in the vision 
that is presented to us sometimes by these by these groups. They 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 market themselves very very effectively sometimes. So so I've I've had a lot of fun breaking all this stuff down and talking about it. And and uh, and you know you've been on my channel so many times. You and John Atak, who I also just did a podcast with yesterday. Oh nice. I mentioned with him as well. You two are the only people who I have name specific playlists on my channel. Wow. Yeah, I've got a Rachel Bernstein playlist and I've got a John Atak playlist and you two are the only ones I've done that with because I've had so many discussions with you guys about different aspects of cults and cult involvement. Wow, I did not know I was a playlist. That's exciting. I've been called worse. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's really cool. Thank you for doing that. And John Atak also, definitely listen to Krista's interviews with John Atak or any you know, conversation with John Atek. He is a wealth of information. And I also um, credit him for uh, letting me know that the beautiful vine, because he's a botanist, um, among other things, the beautiful vine in front of my house was actually a hallucinogen and potentially poisonous. I sent him pictures because he said, oh, what's the, you know, foliage like in, in LA? And I sent him a picture. He said, well, let me just tell you a little bit about the plant you pass by every time you go in and out of your house. <laughs> Thank you. That was helpful information. Um, so, um, yeah, it's nice to talk to people who know a lot about a lot of things. It uh, is. It yeah. is. John's definitely one of those people. Sometimes he, mm -hmm. sometimes I've, I've fact-checked him a little bit sometimes and, and caught him out a couple of times, but he is a, he is a font, uh, a, a veritable font of information. He just throws mm -hmm. out the references left, right, and center. So. That's really good. Really good. And so, and the, the world, uh, I'll just do one more plug for you, but the world is a better place when people take their experiences, I think, and they say, not only, ouch, this really affected me, but then they say, now, what can I do with this that helps other people? Uh, that for some people that didn't, that, that, it doesn't happen naturally that that's their next drive. And thank goodness for some people it is because you want your experiences to be meaningful in terms of education and prevention. And, and for other people who have been through it to understand why it affected them the way it did. And so let's start talking about the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force, and what it is. And, uh, you know, and, and I was telling someone I was going to be talking to you about it, and they said, oh, like Space Force? You know, and it has that kind of name, like it's just made up. But it's very serious at the time. But to an outsider, it'd be like, is that a thing? That doesn't sound like a thing. But it's very much a thing. And so what is it? Well, quite simply, there are two kinds of what are called project forces in the, in, in the world of Scientology, in the world specifically of the Sea Org, which is the cloistered sort of hardcore, you know, I guess you could say monastic order of Scientology, right? It's the core group, the 24-7 operators, the people who are just, that's all they're doing. When people hear about Scientology, they often hear about that billion-year contract. And that is for the Sea Org. That's not a Scientology thing. It's the Sea Org thing. So, so the RPF is something that is that only the most dedicated Sea Org members, the most loyal, fanatical, you know, folks are going to experience. And Basically, it's a um, it's a it's a form of a re-education camp or re-indoctrination camp uh, along the lines of, you know, what was down done rather during the um, Maoist revolution in China or what you see in North Korea, where you see people sequestered away from society or from the, the, the main body of the populace and uh, re-educated. Right. Very forcefully, concentratedly. 
worked over until they are it's a it's a it's an exercise in thought reform mm-hmm. and uh you know classic Lifton thought reform and mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and the rpf is meant as a disciplinary action it's done because you screwed up as a sea org member in a very significant way you don't just get sent there casually and um and it so not everybody in the Sea Org is going to end up doing the RPF program or going through it, but it's mm-hmm. a it's a if you screw up, you know, then that's where you go and and screw up in a very major way. It's a major violation of the of the church's ethics or justice codes or whatever. You screw up somehow. For example, a couple guys went because there was an audiovisual event where David Miscavige was talking to the crowd you know, Scientologists uh, via this, this uh, audiovisual setup. He wasn't there live. And it, and it, and it broke down in the mm-hmm. middle of the talk. And mm-hmm. he was up there, and there's David Miscavige's image on the screen. And no sound is coming out. And this went on for like 10 minutes. So this was yeah. a major flap. It ruined this event. And so the people responsible were promptly and immediately sent to the RPF, right? And that means sequestered away from their friends, family in the Sea Org. If you're if you're married, you're not seeing your spouse anymore for a while. And while you're doing this program, there's no time off. There's no weekends. There's no days off. There's nothing like that. It is a full intensive work study program. Most of the time spent on hard labor. We did things like retarring the roofs or re-sandblasting the sides of the buildings or doing major groundwork renovations. Uh, There was cleaning and and some regular maintenance groundwork kind of thing as well. Street sweeping, mowing, you know, stuff like that. But that was that kind of work was the soft work as far as we were concerned compared to the more hardcore work we were doing. And then you spend five hours a day doing this re-education work. And it takes a long time to break it all down, but basically it's it's a very intensive psychological thought reform process of, of looking back in your past through Scientology processes to find the evil intentions or destructive impulses that are buried within you that were decisions you made to solve problems you had in past lives. The idea is that you are acting now in an evil or destructive fashion because of decisions you made in the past that were evil in order to solve problems or resolve confusions that you were experiencing. And we're talking about incidents that happened 2 million, 20 million, you know, 40 trillion years ago. The Scientology's timeline goes back way back into the past so so you basically if if, to talk turkey about this you are put through this conditioning program and it takes years to get through nobody's doing this in weeks or months it's a year-long program Mm -hmm. and you're making stuff up you know you're you're imagining these tremendous moral transgressions that you've committed in your past lives that you are confessing to, mm-hmm. in addition to confessing to all the stuff you've done this lifetime. They're raking you over the coals five hours a day for your sins and transgressions in this lifetime, and then tracing them back earlier in time. And the mm-hmm. idea with this is that you are responsible for your condition. You are responsible for all the bad things you've ever done or participated in or been involved in. 
like that audiovisual breakdown, let's say. Right. Maybe, yeah, you were slacking on your job or somehow didn't understand something or somehow messed it up on purpose. And the assumption is that you did mess it up on purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're going to dig in and, and rip out of you those evil intentions that you've been carrying around with you that cause you to act this way. So, so through this process, you become convinced basically that you're evil and you must be destroyed and, you know, and, uh, and you've got to take responsibility for all this, you know, for all these horrible things you've done. And you could go back in time to find these past life transgressions could be things like blowing up planets, mm-hmm. genocidal situation, you know, wiping out a whole civilization, you know, because Scientology has ideas that that we've lived in the past in space-faring, highly evolved, highly technical civilizations in the past. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so anything kind of goes as far as the as far as the nature of the incidents you will find. It could be anything from, you know, slapping somebody around or abusing people to quite huge, you know, events of magnitude that supposedly you had caused or created. And Mm -hmm. that's where your evil comes from. And so you sort of, you know, are trying to, you're trying to go spot and handle these things so that you're no longer acting that way. You're no longer acting in this evil, destructive fashion. So that's sort of the, the 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 most summary version of this I can give you, I guess, would be that. Okay, and and so thank you. And I I think it's uh, something I come across a lot, and it's something I'm sure that you come across a lot. That people who leave Scientology and also people who leave a lot of other groups will be sure that they did something on purpose. Will be sure that they were deserving of something bad happening to them, and it becomes then hard to read the situation accurately once you leave because you the causal relationship is it's you it's always you exactly and and it might not be and it could be that even with the sound going out it could have been some other snafu having nothing to do with you right and you you, you won't be able to kind of decipher i think what it is if it's always going to be you and then I don't know when at some point you feel like you're deserving of good things. If so many things that go wrong are your fault, is it hard to have any kind of confidence in yourself after this? It's not. And that is, in fact, one of the biggest um, takeaways from the RPF is a vastly reduced self-confidence and mm-hmm. self-assuredness because you are so sure that you have been acting in this destructive way. And this is reinforced on a daily basis on the program. You know, the people who are there are land there on the RPF after a ton of blame, shame, and regret. Mm-hmm. They, have, they are put through justice actions just to, just to authorize them going there. It's not like somebody just orders you to the RPF. That's a fairly rare circumstance that that somebody with that kind of authority will do that. Most of the time, there's this whole process you have to go through, and you're really guilted and shamed and blamed for these things that may or may not have had anything to do with something you could have done something about. You know, that audiovisual example is a real is a real good example. That's not how I landed on the RPF, but but just as an example of you know you screw up, 
And it could well have been that it was a satellite transmission error or it was, you know, something was wrong with the DVD or, but it doesn't matter. You know, you're going to be put under a microscope and every single little thing that you possibly could have and should have done to prevent that from happening was 100% on you. And there's no take backs, right? There's no like, you know, uh, giving you a pass on any part of this, nor does your past your past successes even necessarily measure in to negate or weigh, you know, the justice factor. If you screw up in a public way or significantly violate the rules, you have no laurels to rest on when you're in that kind of environment of the Sea Org. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, blown up even more when mm-hmm. you end up on the RPF. Right. Because okay. now it's there is no excuses ever for anything. It's always on you. So, so I want and I and I I only I, I can say this you know in looking back on it both for myself and other people who were on and who got through the program successfully that you come out the other end you know walking on eggshells yeah uh, you know real careful because mm-hmm. you don't want to go back. And, and I saw people go back. I saw a guy, a, a trio, actually, you normally you work with another person, it's called a twinship, you are there to get them through the program. And mm. they're there to get you through the program and you okay. work together, right okay. on the steps. Yeah. Sometimes it's a trio, three people because you know, when that when there's an odd man out, right, right, what do you do, right. So mm-hmm. So I saw a trio ship graduate through the RPS. So it was three times harder than usual for them to get through the thing because there were three of them. And uh, then one of them screwed up, started a fire. They went, they, they got onto a job where they were doing welding, screwed up on some part of the welding job, tried mm-hmm. to cover it up because mm-hmm. of course that's what people do mm-hmm. and um, ended up, you know, creating this flap there, a fire alarm went off and, yeah. Right back to the RPF, right? Right, right back. Because that happened within the first month of the guy being graduated. So clearly something was wrong with their RPF that they would screw up so significantly. And they had been, this trio ship all had to go back to the RPF. Because if your twin screws up, it's your fault, right? So, you know, yeah, you're responsible for yourself, but you're also 100% responsible for this other person. Even after you graduate the RPF, you're still responsible for this period of time. So you're constantly walking on eggshells. You're constantly like, you know, freaking out. And this is already an environment where people are reporting on one another and and all of this. So it's pretty crazy. And, you know, if I, if I think about it this way, I, you know, if there was purpose to it to kind of keep focus off certain people, then it makes more sense to me. Not that it really makes sense, makes sense, it shouldn't be happening. But if you just need to keep looking inward or you're blaming another person, then you don't look at the leadership and you don't look at the tech and you don't look where you're supposed to be looking and focus on maybe this isn't a good thing. Maybe you don't need this. And why did this get set up? And, and is it a deflection? Is it a way to just keep your eye off the ball, off David Miscavige, off L. Ron Hubbard, and just have have your focus elsewhere and with great intensity also to the point of real distraction. What do you think about that? 
Absolutely. I think you're spot on with that. Uh, in fact, organizationally, that is exactly what the RPF, the purpose of that activity is, okay. is, is, is a, a place where you can relegate somebody, send them off, where they are literally going to be basically disappeared for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be seeing or hearing from them, even their mm -hmm. own spouse or their own kids, if they have kids, right? Which oh. is the case for some people in the Sea Org. Because when you're mm -hmm. on the RPF, you are completely physically separated from the rest of the Sea Org. Mm -hmm. And you are, and you are by policy of the RPF, not supposed to be seen or heard from. You are not allowed to, uh, you don't get to talk to other Sea Org members outside the RPF unless they speak to you first. Mm -hmm. And and then only in the most, you know, extreme circumstances, whether it might have something to do with the job or the project that you're doing. Uh, yeah, I didn't finish that earlier, but it's called a project force because it's a group of people that go around doing projects. Ah. Okay. That's why it's called a project force. It's a force of Got people okay. who go around doing specific projects on a daily basis. And these, of course, are work projects. They are there to get the work done. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, and it's the rehabilitation project force because the idea with the rather Orwellian doublespeak that goes on in Scientology, um, it's rehabilitation. It's rehabilitating you so you can get the work done. But what it's really doing, as you just said, is it's a is it's a place you can send somebody who's a troublemaker, who's riffraff, who's considered talking too much. It looks like mm -hmm. you've had a little bit too much to think. Off to the RPF you go, right? The mm -hmm. thought police will send you there, and you will be um, your thoughts will be reformed, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't get through that program if you do not confess your sins in an enthusiastic manner you know, and really push yourself to get through this program. And it is a lot of hurdles to climb through to go over before you're allowed back in the Sea Org. Mm -hmm. um, most people quit, you know, they, can't, they just say, I can't deal with this crap and good on them. They should, because it's a crazy making program. Right. Well, how are you looked upon though, if you quit? Well, that's the thing is that if you, you're already the scum of the earth just for being on the earth, but at least people will acknowledge that you're hanging in there, that you're willing to make up the damage for what you did. From the group perspective, you're at the you're you're an untouchable. If, if we if there is a caste system in Scientology, and this is the untouchable caste mm -hmm. in the Sea Org, but at least you're still in the Sea Org, right? So so at least so you can take some small degree of pride in that. Mm -hmm. And the way you're communicated to, the way you're talked to in the RPF is that you have sinned for for real you are here by the grace of the rpf and l ron hubbard it is only through your hard work and your honesty and your integrity that you're going to build yourself back up and rehabilitate yourself mm -hmm. so it's expected that you think of yourself as a complete and utter dog scumbag sinner and sinner is not really a word that's used in Scientology, but all these other words are. And mm -hmm. and you're and and you're just at the bottom rung, right? So you gotta climb, you're you gotta earn your way back. And mm -hmm. the work that you're doing is supposedly your exchange for the fact that the RPF, that the Sea Org is allowing you, is feeding you, is clothing you, is still put, you know, putting up with your bullshit. So that you can get through this program. So, okay. so, so every part of this is yeah. meant to create 
a sort of a degraded self-image. It is a great way for David Miscavige or senior executives in Scientology to enforce compliance because you always have, as a Sea Org member, as a Scientologist, you have this justice system, which we don't have to get into too much, but it's pretty involved and pretty, you know, it, 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 with a group that would create something like the RPF, you can imagine the rest of their justice system isn't so great either. Um, but as an ARP, as a Sea Org member, you have this, this additional penance or punishment that can be assigned to you, which is this RPF. And it's always hanging over your head, like we're just waiting for the hammer to fall, right? Because you never know what you could end up doing that could end up getting you on this program. And if you're there, you know you're stuck there for years. So you really want to do anything possible to avoid that. So that means you'll do just about anything to avoid that, right? If that means you need to you know, deal with the pressure of the of the product demand that's on you to make money, which is a big, huge demand within that world. Yeah. Um, you'll bang somebody's credit cards without asking them first. You know, you'll commit financial frauds. You'll you'll beat up on people, push them around. You know, do whatever needs to be done to get your production according to how you are told to mm-hmm. get your production in Scientology mm-hmm. rather than face that consequence, you know, mm-hmm. and then once you're there, it, it's, it's, it's bad. It's not a, it's not a fun experience by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So I want to be able to talk about the truth rundown and maybe some of the L rundowns before we get to that. Yeah. Sometimes people, because they can't even envision what the setting is like, what the rooms are like, what the pace is like, what a day in the life is just in a multi-sensory way. If you can describe, right? Because I mean, people can hear about it, but to be in it, what does it feel like? And what's the day like and eating and sleeping and work and all of that? What What's it like? Yeah. All right. So RPF, so the Sea Org is bad enough, but let's talk RPF. So you have you get up at basically about six in the morning and um, go and eat breakfast. Uh, you muster up first. Everybody has to be accounted for, so everybody stands in lines, in units, and and has to be accounted for. And then you run off to breakfast, which is runny eggs every morning, seven days a week, right? Pancakes on Sunday, maybe. So you know sometimes. So Sunday might be a slightly better breakfast, but um, basically runny eggs is is breakfast. You have twenty minutes to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to have a cigarette, that's when you do it because mm-hmm. there's no smoking any other time. And there are a lot of people on the RPF who smoke. Okay. Um, you're, you're, the Sea Org is 50 bucks a week in terms of how much you're being given for the work that you're doing. Wow. On the RPF, it's a quarter peg. So you're making 1150 That's how much money you have to spend each week. And that's if you're getting full pay. Now, full RPF pay because, okay. You come to the RPF from whatever sub-organization you're part of. They're supposed to pay you. Even if you're on the RPF, you're still part of their organization. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, often, in fact, the sub-organization won't make enough money to pay full 50 bucks a week to the Sea Org. So you'll get half pay or three-quarters pay or quarter pay. So, But whatever the full, whatever the organization is paying its staff, that you're part of, mm-hmm. you're only getting a quarter of that. 
So if they're on quarter pay, that means they're making 11 bucks a week. That means you're coming home that week or on the RPF that week with about four, but three bucks, three or four bucks. So, you know, so you can okay. make nothing to ele- biggest, big money is 1150 a week. We used, to, um, we used to sort of jokingly laugh about another day, another dollar 50, right? Uh-huh. Kind of how the, how the, how it works in the sea order. Right, yeah. Right. Um, so that's your money situation. You, mm-hmm. your passports, IDs, social security card, all of that is confiscated when you land on the RPF and put into a safe in an envelope with your name on it. So if you need to get to it because of some authorized reason, then you have it. But otherwise, if you try to leave or go away or anything like that, you don't have your, you don't have more than $20 on you at a time. They specifically will not allow more than 20 bucks at a time on your person. And you don't have your ID with you. So mm-hmm. there's no getting away. There's no, wow. I mean, take off in the middle of the night, but good luck, you know, with no ID. Right. Um, unless you've got family or somebody to go to, you're going to be struggling to, you know, with that. Mm. Um, okay, let's see. Schedule wise, you get up about 6 a.m., you go off to the breakfast. Uh, you got 20 minutes and then you're back for another muster. And then it's five hours of the study time. The redemption time is what they call it. It's redemption time. It's you wow. redeem yourself in the eyes of the Sea Org. And you, like I said, you work with another person and, and the details of that are very, very complicated. But basically, there's a program of steps that you need to get through that are thought reform steps. And they mm-hmm. use Scientology processes to, you know, like I said, screw with your head. Then mm-hmm. after lunch, after about, oh, so then you go till, uh, that's basically like seven until, oh, what was it? That was until one thirty. I think it was one thirty. So we would, we would go to um, breakfast and then muster up and then do redemption time. And then, yeah, about one o'clock or so, um, the crew eating is done. And you want to, the rest of the Sea Org crew, you're all on a Sea Org base. So you don't want to eat with them because mm-hmm. they're not supposed to see you and you're not supposed to see them. So you have to eat in off times, right? Really early or later than the regular meal times, right? So you get 20 minutes for lunch. So you muster up, run over, eat the lunch. And it's a mess system. So you have the food on a chow line and you have to go through and get the food and then go back and eat it. And um, breakfast or, you know, lunches are, you know, I don't know, sandwiches or uh, soup or something like that. And then you go to report to work and you get your projects, you break down into units and you work from, you know, 1.30, 1.45 until um, dinner at 7.45 for 20 minutes and then um, back to work. And you work until I think it's 10.30 at night. And then you break down, you get to go take a shower. You have basically 20 minutes to go shower and report to muster again. So there's like four or five musters throughout the day accounting for everybody, making sure nobody took off. And uh, then you secure and you have exactly seven and a half hours of sleep time. Mm -hmm. And then you're up again for the next day. And every single day is the same. There's no holidays. Christmas, you know, doesn't matter. Thanksgiving doesn't matter. It's not like you're going to get time off. It's not like you're mm-hmm. going to go spend time. And so there, so time starts taking this very weird perspective. I, I can tell you from when, when every day is Groundhog Day, when every day is literally the same, the only thing that's different is the nature of what you're talking about in your sessions or 
the kind of work you're doing. Okay. Right? So there are variations, obviously, in the day, but the schedule is exactly the same every single day. There's no entertainment. There's no, um, you know, you're not supposed to have any luxury items. There's no music. You're not working to music. You're not watching movies. You're not seeing TV. You're not, none of that is in your world. It is work and redemption and work and redemption. And that's it. Um, that got a little weird. After the first year, it was really hard to know what day it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and there were weeks that would go by, weeks that would that would pass where I would start losing track of what month it was. It was a very weird experience. I that 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 part of it I didn't particularly see coming when I went on the program, you know. Right. Yeah. So your time sense really gets kind of screwed up a bit. And I knew people who were on that program for 10 years. Oh. I mean, it's not, you know, there's no whippy banging through this program. I was not slacking. I was actually pretty average. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, anyway, and it took me three years to get through it. So three years to get through it. How many years to get over it? I mean, I'm thinking of the people also who are there for 10 years because you're, you're in the program and then you're still in the program in your head, uh, even if you're not in it. And so how are these people who were in there for 10 years? Well, one of them, I mean, was a little nutty. Mm-hmm. He ended up leaving the Sea Org. He didn't get through it after dedicating 10 years to it. Can you believe that? No. And the other lady finally twinned up with somebody else and finished up. Um, and they were both a little weird, to be honest with you. I mean, the lady who finished was one of these sort of always smiling people. Everything was always great, you know, and she's on the RPF. What the hell are you smiling about? You know, I mean, it was, it was a little weird. You know, you get into some pretty weird head spaces with this stuff. Yeah, I can imagine the smiling. It seems to me like it's a dissociative state. Very much so. Very much so. And that was actually fairly common with the RPFers. Not that they'd be walking around like, a couple of them. But but the idea that, that you know, this this thought reform starts at the very beginning with this program is the thing that's going to save your life. Mm-hmm. This is the salvage action that you need as a screwed up Sea Org member just to graduate up to being a regular Sea Org member who can do their job. Right. So aren't you happy to be here? Isn't it so wonderful that the Sea Org has given you this opportunity? This is the point of no return for you. This is it. This is the line. You're at the end of the line. You've got to get through this thing, right? This is your salvage step. So, mm-hmm. so you have this kind of attitude of, this sort of weird, euphoric kind of, isn't it all wonderful Pollyanna kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Mixed in with the gritty, hard reality of broken bones. A guy had his eye ripped out. I mean, people break bones. Or I knew somebody who lost a finger on a table saw. You, you know, you're doing hard physical labor. And you're not, OSHA standards and regulations are not followed yeah. in the group. These yeah. are not people who care what the outside world thinks about what's going on in it. So they don't care about the OSHA standards or how many ladders get stacked on top of one another so that you can reach the ceiling or, you know, what kind of slipshod work you're doing. I knew, I mean, I can, I have a lot of stories about uh, both humorous and non about 
uh, work-related accidents or almost near accidents, near misses, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I broke, the only time I broke a bone on my body was when I was on the RPF, I broke my finger. And I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital for about 24 hours. It was the most painful thing that has ever happened to me. Single, single most painful thing. Yeah. I, splitting my finger bone. I mean, it doesn't sound Ooh. like a lot, but it hurt. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I couldn't sleep that night. I was told to, you know, tough it up, you know, stop being a, a slacker, stop being a pansy, you know. And uh, wow, you know, somebody, that one of the people who actually runs the program, uh heard about this and she was just about fit to be too she's like what you did what oh she was she was really pissed that i hadn't gotten to the hospital so off i went but yeah uh, that's the kind of attitude i mean i had a the guy who the guy the rpfer who was kind of in charge of the program um because there's a rank in structure system within the the program of course Mm mm-hmm he used to taunt me about, you know, about how pain was just a state of mind. Pain is, pain is just something, it's just imaginary. You're just imagining it. It's not real. There's no, there's no reason to be concerned when you, if your body's in pain. You push through that shit. That's <laughs> so wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, about it now, like, you know, over 15 years after the fact. But yeah, it was, it was not fun. No, oh, I'm so sorry. And that just I'm thinking of you needing to sleep that night, and I'm sure you were exhausted, and you can't if you're in so much pain. And you can get nauseous from the pain. I mean, it's a horrible thing. It, and it was not a fun night. No, I'm sure it was not. Okay, so then I know we want to be able to move to talking about the truth rundown. And so, so if you can make the connection between the RPF and the truth rundown, and then let's talk about what that is. Yeah, sure. So part of the program, there's a series of actions you do in order to find and handle all these evil purposes and destructive intentions that you have. And that's the bulk of the program. After you've done those steps, there's an additional step that many people on the RPF receive, which is called the truth rundown. This is an actual audited or, or counseling action that occurs in, in the Sea Org in Scientology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not something that most Scientologists get. In fact, most Scientologists have never even heard of it. It's a, it tends to be a Sea Org only thing. And it's specifically used in order to handle a person who is spreading black PR rumors, what are called in Scientology enemy lines, things the enemy would say about you. It's an enemy line. You mean the truth? So, well, exactly, right? Like, for example, in Scientology, uh, the staff are not getting paid, right? Staff don't, the staff just don't get paid. I mean, it's just how it is. Maybe the staff now are getting like 100 or 200 bucks a month. Not the Sea Org. They're still on the $50 a week. But the um, the city level staff, right? Like, because I was, right. you know, like in Santa Barbara, there's a church there or Los Angeles or Denver. They have these city level churches. These are not Sea Org. And, um, and I worked at one of those for eight years. And the most I ever made in one week was 150 bucks, mm-hmm. something like that, 150, mm-hmm. 200 bucks, right? That was the most I ever made. There were mo- many weeks where I didn't, was, didn't make anything at all. Worked, you know, worked a full week, uh, 40 hours, made 20 bucks, you know? So it's religious volunteerism. So mm-hmm. they don't have to pay you. Mm-hmm. Well, then there could be a line spread around in the world of Scientology that staff don't get paid. Well, it happens to be true. It also happens to be a very derogatory line about being on staff in Scientology, and it would discourage people from being on staff 
So you're not allowed to say it. Mm-hmm. You say stuff like that, you are spreading black PR, right? Mm-hmm. You are spreading vicious lies. Mm-hmm. And that, that right there is the line because it goes from you're spreading bad news that could be true mm-hmm. to spreading vicious lies. Now, it's not a vicious lie that staff mm-hmm. don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Objective fact. But to say that is to create a disaffected mindset and discourage people from even wanting to be on staff in the first place. Therefore, it is an enemy line. It's something an enemy would say about Scientology. It's not something a Scientologist would say. Right. I mean, you know, one of the signs of an unhealthy group, unhealthy relationship also is that if you're kept from being able to make a fully educated decision, before you commit to anything, sign up for anything, pay for anything. And here you're kept clearly from getting all the information. People are at risk if they tell you the truth. And so it's very slippery and you're, you kind of have to fend for yourself then and figure out what's true and what's not. I'm sure it's hard once you realize that you know, black PR is actually just people saying what is. Exactly. And, the, and, the fir- and it's further complicated by the fact that Scientology as a whole, Sea Org and outside the Sea Org, is a snitching culture. So people are constantly writing reports on one another, written reports, person's name boldly stated across the top. This person said, staff don't get paid. And I, I was discouraged from joining staff because they told me this, right? right? Or, you know, Chris is spreading that, you know, Chris told me at lunch today that he's not happy with his job. He doesn't really like working at the org anymore. And he wishes he had done something else, right? Well, that's a private conversation between two people who are supposed to be friends. But in mm-hmm, the Scientology mm-hmm. world, you get snitched on because you were critical of your job, of Scientology, of the organization, of what it's doing, materials it's putting out, L. Ron Hubbard's philosophy. If you're critical of any of this, you can be written up. And these reports are don't just go into a vacuum. There's a file folder with your name on it and and an office with a filing cabinet. And these things get filed away Mm -hmm. and they accumulate and you can build up stacks of these folders of reports that get written about you over the months and years that you're involved. Mm -hmm. So if it comes up on study, when you're on the RPF, one of the things that your twin has to do is go through your ethics files and read all these reports or look at all these reports that were ever written on you throughout your entire Scientology history, Mm -hmm. going all the way back to the beginning. And this is how long they keep these files on you. So you've got, I was in the Sea Org for, oh gosh, uh, 20 years or so by the time I hit the RPF, right? So I had files of reports of stuff I'd engaged in over the years, complaints Mm -hmm. I'd made, you know, rant sessions I'd had or whatever, where I was thinking I was talking to a friend and then turns out, nope, not really. So I have tons of reports written on me, like every other Sea Org member does. Right. And they go through those and they do what's called a call, C-U-L-L. They call through the, the, the folders mm-hmm. looking for the black PR that you've been spreading. If there's a report that looks like you've been spreading black PR about Scientology, it gets pulled aside, highlighted, and then this truth rundown. If there's enough of those reports... Yeah. that it looks like you're a spreader, you're a, you're a black PR artist, then 
you're going to get the truth rundown. And that is a specific application of this evil purpose, destructive intention thing, where every one of those complaints was prompted. It's assumed all of your complaining was prompted by the fact that you were doing things on the subject line of what you were complaining about that were morally wrong, that were transgressions, right? That were sins. They call those overts in Scientology or overt acts. So you're guilty of overts. And we're going to find out what those overts are. Uh You wouldn't be spreading all that black PR if you didn't have your own overts. It can't be that you were just complaining about not getting paid that week because you had bills. Mm -hmm. It can't be because you were complaining, see? Mm-hmm. You were spreading disaffection. You were spreading your black PR around like a like a mind virus. So we have to we have to root it out of you, right? Is the idea because Scientology? Here's the other unspoken assumption here, which uh, yeah seems fairly obvious, but let me say out loud: Scientology as an organization, L. Ron Hubbard and David Miscavige, these people are infallible. This organization is infallible can never be the organization's fault. It cannot be that L. Ron Hubbard's policy is wrong. It can't be that David Miscavige was just having a bad day. It's always you, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's this idea, you know, that that we've talked about in the past as sort of, I see it as this trickle-down narcissism. Yes. Because if you have someone who is the leader who cannot tolerate being questioned, being disagreed with, people being upset about what they're doing or calling them out, especially, then they set up a system that their narcissism permeates. And then the whole organization then cannot tolerate the things that they can't tolerate because they just don't want to hear it. And they want to dissuade people as much as possible. And one of the ways you dissuade people is making people afraid of doing it. Because if you do it, then all of these things are going to happen to you. And then you're going to be seen this way. And you know, and it makes me think too about all the work, all the work that you did, all the work that people do, and that you can somehow go back to zero in terms of your reputation. And there isn't this sort of cumulative impact that your hard work and sacrifice makes if you are seen as spreading black PR, then you're going back to being this enemy. And I just wonder what that does over time to make people feel like, is it worth it? Is it worth doing all this work? Because I can, you know, it's like shoots and ladders. Like, Will I just slide all the way back down? And, you know, after years and after tens of thousands of dollars, I mean, anyway, but the truth rundown you said is very damaging to your mind. And so let's talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Because, okay, so we've set the stage here for disaffected black PR rumor spreader. Okay. Okay, if that's you, if that fits your description, and it pretty much can easily be made to fit your description if you're in the sea or because again, mm-hmm. in culture, mm-hmm. um, then you're going to get this gaslighting program. And basically, I say gaslighting because what ends up happening is you are confronted with the report. Mm-hmm. And you got a whole stack of these reports that, you know, all this black PR you've been spreading. So one by one, each report is put on a, on, a, on a slate in front of you and you read it over and they auditor, the, the person who's doing this truth rundown on you has you read it over and says, so you see what you said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, the guy, and you're sitting there reading it going, oh, I remember this, right? And you go, okay, did you say that, right? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Well, then here we go. Or no, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. Well, what did you say? Well, I didn't, you know, I, I said, uh, I, I said, it's, I said, uh, I didn't say the staff don't get paid. I said, it's really unfortunate that we can't get the policy applied here strongly enough to get the staff paid. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's wow. a little different. Mm -hmm. right? A little mm -hmm. different, but still, right, right. still seems to be a little disaffection there. Seems to be a little something, a little critical, right? little carping criticism of the organization there. So let's dig in on this. So that's what you said. So you said this thing. I wish the policy would get in. Okay, good. We're going to take that up. And, you know, was there, some, what, what, what is it? Um, oh, yeah. Just before you, what was the line exactly? Just before you started saying that or just before you started. Oh, yeah. When did, when was the first time you told somebody that? Okay. Right. When was the first time you started you spread that line because it because this report might not be the first time right this might be the fifth time you did it but it's the first time somebody wrote you up for it wow okay so when was the when did you start feeling that way right mm -hmm. like you're trying to mm -hmm. trace it back to when did you get this idea mm -hmm. that staff don't get paid when did you first start getting this idea oh well i think i actually started getting this idea back when uh oh i don't know i think joe told me i think joe Joe and I were having a conversation and he told me, oh, okay. So Joe kind of spread that to you and then you spread it to others. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what happened. Okay. So good. Well, we're going to deal with you right now. Well, we've noted that Joe did that and there will be a separate report then written about Joe, but you're the one who also spread this around. So just before you accepted that, or just before you spread that around, what overt did you commit? And wow. the overt has to be on the subject matter of the black PR itself. It can't be disrelated. So if you if I'm spreading this line that the staff don't get paid, that means I better come up with an overt of stealing money from the church. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's going to be on the line right. of the overt, right? Or some financial shenanigans that I got up to, something financial, something related to the staff pay. That I that I did it that I did something wrong, and I have to find it, and it has to be there. So I have to find it, and I have to confess it. And then this goes earlier, similar like we talked about before, to past lives, to millions of years ago. Because what they're looking for is not just what you did and and the actionable things that you did that you're going to have to now atone for, but um, what was the evil purpose that prompted you commit that series of overts, right? And what this does mm -hmm. is you do this again and again and again and again and again on all of these reports. It's not just one or two. You know, if you're getting the truth rundown, you got a few of these things. Right. And the idea is to convince you, because through this process, you're supposed to come to the realization over and over again that the black PR you were spreading was a total made-up fantasy that only existed in your mind because of your overs. Mm -hmm. And the staff do get paid. And it's up to you to figure out how to reconcile that in your head against the objective reality that you are well aware of as a staff member, Sea Org member, that the staff aren't getting paid. But that's not an acceptable reality for you to have. 
Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. process is the process of thought reform to in, to make you gaslight yourself into believing that what you were saying could never have been true. Wow. And it was only your overts that were the cause of your disaffection. And this is done on every single complaint and black PR line you've ever uttered that's been written down that they have records of. And then they're asking you, right? And insisting and assuming that you have been spreading black PR. The assumption is that you did, not that you didn't. So if you say, I never said that. Okay, well, what did you say? You know, this person didn't write a report for no reason. They clearly got the idea from what you were saying, that you were saying something disaffected, that Mm -hmm. you were being critical. So what did you say? And you have to mm-hmm. haul it up. Oh, well, I guess I sort of said this. I guess they could have taken it that way. All right. Well, there it is. There's your black PR. So let's find your overts right. and evil intentions that were prompting you to do that. And by the end of this thing, here is the secret end result of this. And, and you keep doing this procedure until the person originates on their own person who's receiving the truth rundown through no prompting on on your part, they are supposed to originate, oh my God, I've been spreading all this black PR. Oh man, I need to apologize to all these people that I was tell I was complaining and bitching and moaning. I was the problem the entire time. David Miscavige is wonderful. L. Ron Hubbard's great. Scientology is a perfect organization. It's only us screw-ups that are making it bad. I'm the screw-up. I'm the bad one. I need to actually apologize to these people for having done this. And you are then made to write letters of apology to every single person that you spread Black PR to because you've got all the reports. You know exactly who and when. So... The end result of this thing is you, quote unquote, taking responsibility for all the black PR you spread by writing these letters of apology and being very, very, um, what's the word? Uh, Sincere? Yes. Very, very Mm -hmm. like, I need to, you know, uh, mea culpa, right? It's all on me. It was all on me all the time. Okay. That's the end result. And you're not done. And you will not be allowed to complete this process until you say those kinds of words. You don't have to say it word for word, but you got to be sorrowful, contrite, and willing to apologize to all these people for the black PR that you spread around. You don't get to do that insincerely, by the way. You don't get to fake it because they got you on the e-meter. They're watching you real close. So, you know. So you have to truly feel it in your heart. And it can take hours and hours and hours and hours of working people over. I did a truth rundown on two different people. And I think it was about 50 to 75 hours of work, right, on each of them. Incredible. So I also was at the receiving end of that. Oh, wow. Okay. So Chris just saved you a lot of time and effort there. He went to the end of the story. Spoiler alert. It's a really good thing, though, to find out that that is the whole reason for it and that the truth rundown is about you admitting that you lied, which is interesting. Oh, actually, it's even worse that you were delusional. 
Uh, the idea is that your over yeah, yeah. Right. actually cause your perceptions to change. Okay. Right. Right. Now it is true. And I've learned a great deal about perception change through affirmation bias and cognitive dissonance and mm -hmm. the various factors that are at play with our perceptions and our perceptions are malleable. Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps our own wrongdoings can mess with our perception. Mm -hmm. But to assume that every complaint you have about this oh so perfect organization is only and exclusively because of your sins and that they can run this on you authoritarianly, authoritatively, that this, that this is how it is and there's no other option to it and you're going to get through this process or you're never going to see your family again, you're never going to see your spouse again. Like you got to get through this RPF program if you're ever going to get back into the regular life of the Sea Org, which itself is already insanely culty and nuts. Right. But this RPF is just like concentrated crazy. And so you are compelled to, you know, you want to get through this program. So you mm -hmm. want to have the right thoughts and the right ideas. And you want to, you want to make up for what all that damage that you did was. So, so the mind screwery that's going on here is a multi-layered, you know, cake of awful that, that you have to eat, you know, or, or subscribe to. So. Wow. And so it, it's even many steps worse than even within abusive relationships when if someone hits you, God forbid, or someone just berates you, it's always because of you. You didn't do something well enough. You didn't do something fast enough, whatever. And you need to take responsibility. I remember years ago actually being with someone who when when they would do something wrong and I'd get upset, they'd say, well, we both need to apologize because if I got upset, it's because you must have done something, maybe not now, but maybe a couple of days ago that prompted me to get upset. And so, you know, we both have to take responsibility. And it was a while to actually extract myself from that, you know, to because if you are, if you're someone who is willing to look at that and look at yourself and your goal for being in it is to have a sense of understanding you and understanding your mind, then you're going to be open to these ideas. And that's really a shame. And that that's taken advantage of in this horrible way and that you gaslight yourself. That is, that is beyond trippy. And I think, you know, it, it gets you to this whole other, again, dissociative place where you're building the end result on this house of cards. Right. And so when you look at the foundation, you're thinking, actually, no, this is, this wasn't a thing, but I, I came to this this sense of knowing and really getting it but what is it that i got and why is it that then they needed me to believe this and again this whole huge deflection and you don't look at well maybe uh these things are existing and maybe they're afraid of people knowing them because they're trying to keep things hidden you don't even have time to think about that no because this is such an intense process. And also people socially derive a lot of pleasure from saying the thing that they know is going to get them the positives and that kind of uh, positive feedback and, oh, you finally got it. And so a lot of people will quote unquote get it when, you know, that's not where they were planning to go with it at all, nor is it real, but they want people to be happy with them. And so I think there are a lot of conclusions people come to that are just socially forced and manipulated, but you think you've come to it on your own. It's fascinating. And 
exactly. and so debilitating just in terms of making your way through the murkiness of it to actually look at the process and to think about what is true and what isn't. And it's just incredible. As we finish up, I know that there, there's, of course, more that we could cover a lot. It's hard to get a Scientology conversation in, in an hour. <laughs> right, exactly. Unless, you, unless right. you really focus the intention on a very specific thing, which yeah, I've yeah. done. And, yeah. and especially with something as, you know, as, as complicated and deep as the truth rundown, which I believe is the most psychologically damaging series of actions that Scientology has to offer. You know, there's a lot of mind screwery that goes on in Scientology, as you can tell from just this description. You have multiple levels of stuff going on there at the same time. And there and those and some of those levels are built on in other ways in other places in Scientology. The confession culture is a very, very big part of Scientology. Yeah. So just the general idea of confessing your sins is a big deal. But this this RPF and this truth rundown sort of take that and, you know, pump it up on steroids, I guess you could say, you know, and that's and that's why it's good to talk about because I want people to know that just how bad, just how deep that rabbit hole can go. It can go all the way down to a place where you have formalized as a process, mm -hmm. a, an exact series of steps, a one, two, three, four, mm -hmm. how to gaslight yourself. Mm -hmm. or how to gaslight another effectively so effectively that they do gaslight themselves because then at the end of the day that's really how gaslighting works out across the boards anyway but you know this this idea that you can rework your thinking so that you can observe in the real world david miscavige beat on somebody and then end up on this rpf program and end up in a position where you are made to rework what you saw in your head so that it is no longer the case that David Miscavige was beating on somebody. You are the one who has to make that make sense because you will not be allowed through this process until you do. And until you're the one who's sorry about what you saw him do to somebody else. That's how crazy. So, and I, and I know people that that exact thing happened. So that's how crazy it is. And, and that answers in part the question that i'm sure you get asked a lot which is how do they get away with this how does david miscavige get away with this that's why that's right and the people in his inner circle who have seen these kind of abuses they do get this kind of treatment because uh -huh. it doesn't have to be on the rpf that you get this treatment you can get this truth rundown outside of the rpf so he can give it to he can order anybody at any time to get this mm-hmm and if they're getting a little antsy or disaffected or he senses that there's something up with them, boom, off they go. He has that power. He can literally point his finger and a Sea Org member's life will be upended and never be the same again because they can get up on the RPF, get on a truth rundown, whatever he says goes. And that's and, and you nailed it. Do you wonder how do they get 50 signed affidavits from people in David Miscavige's inner circle? swearing under under perjury laws that David Miscavige never hurt anybody. That's how, mm. you know, it, it's, it's, it's not that they're lying for him. It's so much worse. Right. It's that they actually think they're telling the truth. And how scary is that? Oh. 
Okay. That's incredibly powerful. It leaves me speechless, actually. It's so wrong on so many levels. When people tell that, you know, they were in Scientology or they were on the RPF or Sea Org, and people say, oh, what's that? How do you even describe this level of sort of concentrated manipulation? So I'm so grateful to you for being able to kind of tease this apart and look at the details and also detail what happens in those sessions and and see how someone's mind gets reformed and their perception gets reformed. And then they abandon their own perception, going back to this this uh, Dr. Margaret Singer quote that I quote a lot, that being in a cult means learning to deny the evidence of your senses. And it, here's a perfect example of that. Wow. So I'm so glad you are free from that and that it takes a lot of work to undo that whole process. And I'm sure it can leave you with a lot of emotions that you were even put through it to begin with. Very much so. I can, I can literally smile about it now. Mm-hmm. And it's very much in my past. It's very much something that I have dealt with. It's, 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 I've detailed it, you know, to, to the nth degree in my, my own work talking about this. I did a whole video on the truth rundown, a whole video on the RPF that went on for, you know, hours. You can watch those things. If you're really curious about all the nitty gritty details of this stuff, I actually read from the Hubbard scriptures, you know, so it's, so it's all there for you to see if you want to get the full, full breakdown of it. But I think we've covered some really good stuff here and Mm -hmm. I'm really glad Mm -hmm. we did this. And I hope people take this seriously because it's not a joke. You know, at the end of the day, it's a Scientologist is it's something to laugh about because of the ridiculousness of it. But there is a very, very dark, you know, underbelly to this that is not really funny at all. And and um, and it's and it is ruining people's lives and it ruined mine. And that took me a long time to build back from that in ways I didn't even know I was going to have to. You know, so. Right. Right. So it's been, okay. a, it's been a journey, you know, it's been a journey, but you, by the way, have been unbelievably helpful on that journey for me. So I'll definitely uh, let your audience know that you're, you're the bee's knees for me uh, on this process. You have, you have been there for me in a, in a, in so many ways mm. and uh, as a friend over these years. And, uh, and it's been helpful to be able to get to the point where we can have this talk and I'm not sitting here under the table, you know, cowering and crying right, over right. The, the memories of this, you know. No, even though you'd have every reason to, but you, I think you're, you're determined to not let it keep impacting your life in a negative way and keeping you from your happiness. And that's a really good thing. And, uh, okay. So <laughs> bees knees, I love that expression. <laughs> uh, okay. You two right back at you. So, um, all right, we will talk hopefully soon. There's so much more to discuss. And uh, yeah, people, please check out Chris's amazing videos and podcasts and everything. And there's so much amazing information and detailed information. So if you really want to understand it, you do a great job explaining it. And that's a gift. Okay. All right. So I hope to talk to you soon. All right. All right. Take care. One more thing before you go. I'm going to keep this section a bit shorter than usual because I feel like I want the wonderful information from Chris to sink in. 
I often try to keep the episodes to under an hour, but all of the information that he shared, I felt was very important for people to hear. Not only for people who are dealing with this in their personal lives, but for people to understand how the control kind of folds in on itself and you end up controlling yourself and then not knowing what is up or down. When people ask me to describe Scientology or any parts of it, this is part of the reason that I have trouble putting it into a concise format. It's so convoluted and head-spinning. Thank goodness people like Chris are able to make sense of something that I think to a great degree might not make sense and is, though simultaneously, unfortunately clever in its power to get people buried underneath it and have a hard time climbing their way out. So I think he just saved people a lot of time and money and stress by giving away the answer to a question that people usually need to suffer in order to receive. I think he just helped present and future Scientologists do something akin to getting the answers before they took the test. And the reason that it's more than okay, I think, for him to do that here is because the test is one that can be so dehumanizing and debilitating and can set people so far back in their lives and their emotional health that getting the key, so to speak, can save people a lot of heartache and future therapy. I think also it is ironic, after you hear something like this, that this is an organization that says that it is to strengthen people, to help their mind be clear, to help them feel powerful. But from what I've seen, though, it makes people kind of feel like there's something wrong with them. And as it is, if you decide to share your experiences that were negative in Scientology, it's considered black PR and it's considered a lie. And everything that Chris says, according to Scientology and the RPF, was his problem all along. And so how is that helpful? How does that help people understand to what degree they are responsible and to what degree other people are responsible for the harm they've caused you? You are constantly blamed. You are constantly the one who's diagnosed. And so I think also. It keeps people from being sensitive to other people because if they are to blame for what's wrong with them, then there isn't compassion in that equation. So, former Scientologists have often told me that being in Scientology was like living in a world where every day was opposite day. And when former members feel this way and want to talk about it, and want to share about their experiences in a genuine and honest way. They are not complaining. It's not that they've done something wrong. It's not that they have evil intentions or are criminals. It's just that they are deciding to be brave enough to tell the truth. And that is very threatening to a group that survives in part by keeping this information from the public. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening. Tired of ads? Well, listen or download this show for free 
on NPR's Radio Public app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please support Indoctrination at patreon.com slash indoctrination. We have over 100 interviews that you can access with any donation. Subscribers receive bonus interviews and other cool goodies. And we love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.